This is episode one with Johan Kim, founder of the wildly successful Pigeonhole and Hello Houseplants stores. Welcome to the Wild Ones with Cam Miller podcast. I'm your host, Cam Miller, and I'm a coach, lifestyle entrepreneur, and founder of what has twice been the UK Babywear brand of the year. For the last few years, I've been supporting people around the globe to reconnect with the wild innate strength within themselves so that they can rapidly realize their goals and build incredible lives. The purpose of the Wild Ones podcast is to connect those creating wild, free, incredible lives and to share the knowledge, tools and skills we need to spend more of our time doing the things we love with the people we love when we like. If you're inspired by this podcast episode, Subscribe to the podcast and head over to cam-miller.com where you can check out and sign up for my free weekly growth guide email. It works hand in hand with the podcast to provide you with a steady stream of motivation, knowledge and practices to fuel and guide your own wild, free, incredible journey through life. In this first interview, I am interviewing Johan Kim. Johan is a school friend of mine and was a musical prodigy from a young age. He studied law at university, but in parallel, he started making jewelry with a friend. And he went on to do something that I didn't have the conviction or the courage to do, and that was to start his own business straight out of university. He's since gone on to open up stores across Australia at an incredible rate. If you want to learn how to harness the power of belief, how to make a start in entrepreneurship and how to achieve rapid success, then this episode is for you. Johan, welcome. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thanks for the invite. It's good to be here. Oh, pleasure. Um, And so I wanted to jump uh, right back into the early parts of your journey because for those people that don't know, uh, we went to high school together. And I remember uh, quite vividly that you were an incredible uh, musician back in that day that you were, was it violin and piano that you played? Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm an Asian kid, first generation Australian, (laughs) uh, pretty much lived under a tiger mom of the highest (laughs) caliber. Um, And so I think, you know, back from when I was like a little kid, like I'd started playing music before I was, before I was even in school. and pretty much my mom put me through every single possible activity under the sun. Mm-hmm. Like I did uh, springboard diving, gymnastics, rugby, soccer, hockey, tennis. I had like two music, two violin lessons a week, two piano lessons a week, vocal training. Wow. It was just, it was nuts. Like that was just, I just always was brought up believing that I would be the best at every single thing. I mean, I don't have an athletic frame, but I, you know, like we even had to do, you know, we had to do a swim squat at six in the morning, twice a week. Yeah. And um, she would headhunt like the best music teachers in like, I was, I was living in Sydney when, when I was brought up. Like I had the SBS conductor was my piano teacher and wow. um, my next piano teacher, she was uh, taught by Stravinsky. And wow. when I, when we moved to Perth, um, then my, yeah, my teachers were like, and like professors at Whopper and I was like, you know, 10 and I was actually really terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and my mum would rock up with like eggs and mangoes. Wow. And she'd be like, 
please take my son. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think I just I was I was brought up with this belief that I was amazing, even though like I, I wasn't. I just had this mum that pushed me like crazy. <laughs> Um, and she would always say things like, like um, yeah, my son's going to Harvard, my son's going to go to Yale. He's going to, he's just, he just I'll say all this like crazy stuff. Um, and as crazy and as hectic as that was growing up, having like this crazy pressure of being like, what do you mean you got 98% in your exam? Yeah. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I guess there was that, like for me, I was like, yeah, like how did I get that thing wrong? How did, like, how, like what's, like that's just, like the dumbest thing. Like, of course, I'm getting, should be getting 100%. Of course, like I can do that. And I think that was this weird thing that was instilled in me that I could do anything that I actually wanted to do, that it is possible. And um, I guess because of that, I've always had this sort of sense of self-belief that whatever I do, I can do it and I can I can be the best at it. Um, so whether that sort of stems back from this fear of being like told off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I guess that's something that sort of, yeah, that's that sort of I've kind of ended up holding on to. And I think that's definitely been part of my entrepreneurial journey. I think that's sort of the stubbornness within me and that belief that, yeah, I can do this. I can, anything is possible um, and I can be the best at the thing that I'm doing, um, despite, I guess, what it may look like at this particular point in time. Um, I think that's something that's definitely grown with me. Fantastic. And so it's, it sounds like your mum particularly, she had that, she had that belief in you and I almost say faith in that, you know, you, you can and, and will be the best in, in all of these different areas. And it sounds like, you know, early on, she had very specific ideas um, about, or at least wanted to give you lots of different opportunities um, in different areas. But you mentioned sort of Harvard and things like that. She had sort of specific ideas. And it sounds like as you grew old, obviously, you uh, realized you could be successful in any area that you liked. And at, at some point, uh, you realized that that was, um, that was entrepreneurship. And so it sounds like when you went into university, um, you're obviously very successful at high school academically, uh, quite naturally because of your performance in all of these other areas. And you went into, was it uh, law and commerce? Was that correct? Yeah, yeah. And it's just interesting because I think alongside the way you started, was it designing jewelry for a brand called Sam? Yeah, look, it's quite random. So, I mean, I did pretty well at high school. Like, I didn't really have a choice, really. And then, <laughs> you know, when you know, when you're, you know, when you're 17, you you do well at school. You're like, well, what are my options? Like, I could be a yeah. doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. Pretty much, is sort of what it felt like, and you kind of channeled in this particular route. Um, and so, yeah, I, I chose law. Um, and I mean, I enjoyed it. I had a great time. Um, I think for me, it was mostly I just had a great time, like being at uni and having that freedom yeah. of like, you know, being, a, being an adult of sorts. Um, but in my first year of law school, a friend of mine that I was studying with, she was making jewelry and selling to some stores. Cool. Um, and I was just hanging out one day at her house and she's like, I'm going to go to the craft store. And I was like, all right, I'll come with you. So I just jumped in the car <laughs> with her. She took me to the store and there was like beads and wire and bits and pieces. And I, you know, so I followed her around and bought some stuff as well. We got back to her house and we made some jewelry together um and because she'd been selling it to a store i was like yeah. i could sell it to a store um i guess that sort of yeah if you can do it well, I, mean, I can do that too and yeah so basically like i made sort of like I don't know, 20 pairs of earrings and yeah. 
um, I went to, I went down, I guess there was this sort of a boutique street in Perth called King Street. That was where all the boutiques were at the time. Um, and I went down that street and four stores bought the, bought the jewelry. I was like, oh, that was pretty easy. Um, <laughs> wow. So by the end of the week, I was in 11 stores. And by the end of the next week, I was in 40 stores because I just literally went from store to store. You know, wow. I was like literally like a bit of a bogan. I was wearing my high school like sports singlet. <laughs> this little like suitcase, blue plastic suitcase with earrings like lined up in it. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, they, was, they couldn't really say no to me. I was just like, hey, hi, I designed jewelry. Do you want to have a look? And they're kind of like, uh, okay. I love it. <laughs> it was literally just it. like two bits of wire, a couple of beads on it, and an earring hook. Uh, it cost me like $1.20 for a pair of earrings. And then I would sell them for $12.50 and then they'd sell them for $25. Um, wow. And so, yeah, I pretty much did that all the way through uni. Um, kind of, yeah, just fun my party days. And um, it was kind of my first, I guess, real like um i guess stint into like owning a owning a business of sorts yeah um because yeah i started selling to stores all around the country and um yeah it was just like a it wasn't like it was it was serious in a sense because it was like you know i had an avn yeah. and you know like i was like um i don't think i was declaring anything but anyway <laughs> writing invoices in a receipt book and you know and i was like i had these grand plans um but it like yeah, I guess in the same token, I was like I was studying law, and still I was like, oh yeah, I'll probably become a lawyer. I'm like I guess that's what you do if you're going to study law. You don't really know what else you can do with that. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I, I think something that really stuck with me was in like after sort of like the first nine, ten months of making jewelry. So this is like when I was like nineteen, I, uh, my second year of uni now. Yeah. Um, I I entered this competition called the Nescafe Big Break, and basically you had to write this little this like business plan and yeah. this thing that you wanted to do. And so I sort of was like, well, because a friend of mine actually won it the year before, um, and he had this amazing agricultural invention that was actually really practical and stuff. So I was surprised <laughs> he won it at eighteen. But I, I was like. Um, look, maybe I can win this. If he can do it, maybe I can. Um, yep. I didn't. I didn't win. But what I, what I did do was write out what I thought I would do with this business. So gotcha. I had this brand and it was a jewelry brand and um, it had a sister brand. I was going to stop all around the country and then I was going to have a store and I was going to have a cafe and it was going to connect with young people and I was going to have local design. And gotcha. it was this concept that I sort of put out there, I guess, into the universe and I'd sort of written it down um, as part of this competition um, and I shelved it obviously because I, mean, I didn't win money and um, I just mm -hmm. went on doing my thing. Um, but that's something that sort of stuck with me um, for yeah, wow. a long time. I think you, you kind of you kind of put it out there and you put your intention out there and you write it down somewhere. Um, and I sort of had formalized that this is what I'm going to do. And um, that somehow has sort of become a bit of a ballast and sort of a little bit of a guideline for me. Um, sort of subconsciously, I would say, because there's, I guess, Laid down the track, there came a point where I looked back and said, "Oh, I've actually done all those things, and uh, and am continuing to do the things that I said I was going to do." Um, but that may have been like like years and years and years later. Yeah, that's really that's really great. So you you spent the time in this kind of this competition encouraged you or kind of channeled you to do it, but you spent the time to get really crystal crystal clear on what your kind of ideal uh, business. Uh, would look like and I, I imagine along with that kind of what the ideal uh, life would look like uh, as well with you moving around between the different stores and as you touch on that I know we'll get into these different elements later 
but you did, you know, you obviously went on to create the stores, but you also mentioned the cafe. I know she opened a coffee shop at some point as well. So these, these plans that you put down on paper that you initially created in your mind, really, um, but those intentions, as, as you put it, really did over time um, become, become reality. Was that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I think that is, it is correct. And I think um, there is incredible power in being intentional and writing something down and saying something. Cause I guess you are, you kind of materialize what's in your imagination by yeah. writing it down or by saying it. Um, and then I guess when you read it again, or when you say it again to someone else, it sort of solidifies. And I do yeah. believe that if you can imagine it, then you can create it. Like if, yeah. if, if, you, if you can see it in your mind's eye, then it's possible for that thing to actually happen. Um, so, yeah, I think that's something that I, I think about that quite often because then I think about the things I want to do or, the, or yeah. the, the seeming impossibility of the things that might be at hand. Yeah. And then go, what could I, what, what could that actually look like? Yeah. And see it in my mind. And then, yeah, actually I can see all the moving parts. I can actually create those things. Yeah, and it sounds like you balanced really well kind of uh, dreaming big, but then also working small that, you know, you you got out there, you, you designed the first products, you got, you know, on the pavement, you started getting out there, getting feedback on them, and the feedback initially was was uh, was good. Um, and then you built there, I guess, steadily and consistently over the course of uh, your university days. And was was there a particular point where you're like, um, you know, uh, I was planning on being a lawyer, but at some point you're like, no, I think it's more likely that I'm going to be an entrepreneur straight out of, uh, university. Yeah. Look, I think there was like, I never applied to do any like vacation clerkships or, or any work experience in law and people would start to do that right for, uh, you know, after the first year, that was sort of yep. all sort of like getting into it. And I think because all of my extra energy was like in, you know, like, selling jewelry and I, yeah. and I had some other like random part-time jobs I used to teach music or I'd shoot kids at school and like in high school high school kids rather um so I was just doing like I'd never had a like I never had a proper job before I never had a boss or anything and I yeah. just sort of did things my own way um and because all my energy was taken up with that and partying I didn't really have this concept of like a nine-to-five like office law job yeah um and so yeah that was something that I think it just it, it was in me and I think because I'd written it down that I was like oh maybe it will be that I will just do this thing if I can get it to work if I yep. can get it to be what I want it to be um I did take a, I did take some time out like in the middle of my university degree I um I took a year off I took a whole year off and I took a semester and I volunteered with like a Christian Christian organization that sort of travels around and um, yeah. does some aid work and different types of things and I stopped doing the jewelry and everything stopped studying and I thought look I just need to recalibrate like sort of sense myself as a person yeah cool and um, that was that was a really great period for me to kind of like I guess connect with my own spirituality and um, come back back to like study and or my you know my business with a different headspace I guess yeah. um and I think because um you know I've I've always I've always been a very spiritual person my dad was a church pastor it was something for me that like I wanted what I did to have some kind of meaning and some kind of giving like giving in some form I guess yeah um and I think you know when I started my business like selling the jewelry early on um I was just like 
sell as much as you can, make as much money as you can, just do whatever you do whatever you can. Um, yep. And there was a point where I guess you know when you're a little when you're a little brand like that, like um, you kind of like you kind of forget that you're supported by the stores that like that stock you. Like they're yep. actually they're they're supporting you and you're partnering with them. Um, and so you're supposed to like like just you kind of give back to them by offering them exclusivity of your product or something like that. Yeah. And I guess for me, I was just trying to go behind people's back to get it everywhere <laughs> and to like, just, just make the money, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. Like I'm mean, in the end, like we're not talking big bucks anyway. So it probably didn't really matter for anyone in the scheme mm-hmm. of things. But I think there was that point where like I got caught out by one of my suppliers. I was like, you know, like um, we, we trusted you and you and you were supplying your stock to us. Yeah. And now you've given that under, you've created a new brand. You've given it to the guys next door. Like we're taking it out of our stores here, take it back. Yeah, got gotcha. you. And there was that point of, um, you know, I guess there's a little tiny micro business at that time of me thinking, yeah, actually I didn't do the right thing by those people. Yeah. Um, and I was so obsessed with like just making money and trying to make everything happen um, and just to grow this thing yeah. that I kind of had lost track. And I think that year off sort of helped me to think, oh, you know, like, like what is the point, you know, like, and can I do something that, you know, like, um, like I'm just selling jewelry, I'm just selling earrings. So yeah. it's not like groundbreaking stuff, but even in the process of that, like, can I be doing that in a way where I feel like I have integrity? Can I be doing that in a way yeah. where I'm like, doing the best by the people that I'm, that I'm working with. Um, yeah. And so taking that year off, it did help me to sort of think about that and recalibrate before kind of like going in again. Yeah. And it sounds to me as though with that, you know, and I think a, a lot of us fall into the trap of chasing sort of shorter term, more immediate goals, like, you know, certain revenue numbers, sales figures, these sorts of things. But if we think about that vision that you created of all of these stores and um, relationships, et cetera, uh, and success that in terms of that long-term vision, obviously really strong relationships with, you know, wholesalers, um, with your staff, et cetera, with investors, that those things are what would enable that, that longer term vision. And if you take too many shortcuts and break too much trust in the near term, that could actually jeopardize that long-term vision would you would you agree with that yeah yeah absolutely and I think I've like I've come I've come to that realization like a number of times through I guess my journey because I guess I just just you end up sort of just doing what you need to do about that thing that's in front of you and you get so sort of like tunnel vision on that thing that you kind of forget why you kind of forget why you're doing that thing and when you kind of forget where like um what the whole point of it was and you kind of you kind of lose yourself in it, like you start yeah. to you start to see everything as dollars and cents, and then you actually forget there's a person behind that, you know, and there's actually like a human being that you're interacting with. There's someone's livelihood. There's yeah, like there's yeah, there's just a lot of things like that that actually you just have to go, oh, hang on a sec, like what's actually important here, um, and where you know what kind of person I'm becoming. Yeah, where am I going? Um, because I think you know, there's definitely. Uh, there's definitely been quite a few moments in my journey where I feel like I kind of lost myself yeah. and there has to be sort of a point of like recalibration again and going, Hey, like, who am I? What am I doing this for? Do I actually want to do this? And do I like the person that I'm turning into? Because like, then what's the point? Yeah. You've got to align the the person with the thing that you're creating really to get, to get the most out of it and get the most out of uh, yourself as well. And, 
And just as you're mentioning that, we're talking about money and the fact that that can cause uh, a misalignment. Was uh, during your university time, you know, was the business, did it start making a strong financial contribution to you to the point where you felt you had a, a financial safety net and that you didn't need to go into um, the legal profession, for example? Uh, and then how did that actually transfer to you actually being able to create your own first store, I guess, straight out of university in terms of the finances? Hmm. Yeah, look, I think for me, I'm not the kind of person that's that financially motivated. It's not sort of like, it's not sort of like I've got my dream house and dream boat and car or anything. Actually, no, I've, I've owned my dream car like now, like I've, and that was a Toyota Corolla hatchback, you know, I bought that and I was like, that's my dream car. That's what I want. I can fit so many boxes in that car. Yeah. Yep. So, so economical. Iconic. I guess for me, I'm not sort of like, I, I don't really worry that much in that regard. And I guess uh, I don't have to sort of rather, like I don't have this huge goal of like a, a huge financial goal. For me, it's more about a journey of like, what can I achieve? What can I create? Yeah. Um, how can I push myself? How can I be the best version of myself that, um, that I can be? Um, but I think, so I guess I've never really compared, you know, how much money can I make being a lawyer or yeah. you know, what's, what's the safety of that? Gotcha. Um, and I think with that, Look, I mean, there is something nice about saying, yeah, look, there is a there is a safety net. Like, you know, like if this falls through, then there is this. Yeah. But I think the plan B is never actually an option because if plan B is an option, then you just can't really focus on plan A gotcha. and making that being what it could be. And I guess with that, um, and maybe that, yeah, like it's that sense of you don't... <laughs> So you can't really fail. Like you do your thing and it doesn't actually turn out the way you expect it, but you just always adjust and you always learn yep. and then changing. And so I guess it's sort of like that the plan B never sort of gets an opportunity to <laughs> come into, into, into play. And I feel like there's, there's quite a few plan B's like um, for me even now. And I just feel like, well, that if I put my energy into plan A, it may not look like the plan that I imagined yeah, to start with, like plan B just never comes because you never really wanted to do that anyway. Yeah. And so like, I guess your hope is that you're doing what you actually want. Like for me anyway, I just, just want to do what I want to do. Um, I don't want to do what I don't want to do just because what I wanted to do didn't work out. It's like, yeah. well, I wanted to do this. It doesn't work out the way that I want to. So what do I want to do now? Let's just like, let's just shift it this to, let's yeah, just shift it in that direction. How can I make it to what I want to want it to be? So I guess that's um, sort of, to, sort of diverge off anyway but that's sort of, I guess probably my mindset more so than um do I have a financial safety net because anyway I didn't really start off with any money anyway yeah. I was like a student um you know like my parents never gave me pocket money there was nothing like that so I was I always just sort of like sold something even when I was like a little tiny kid you know like I found some little like some when I was six I found some little dolls little like dolls made from wool like in like the the back room at the Sunday school yeah. class uh, I didn't realize I was stealing at the time, but I took them to school. <laughs> <laughs> That's all for 25 cents a pop. Yep. And like at the end of the day, I was a six. I'd have like, you know, five or six bucks. Yeah. And I, do you know how many like apricot balls you could buy with like six <laughs> bucks? Little one cent apricot and coconut balls. Yeah, quite a few. <laughs> yeah. And I just like, I just like divvy them up to all my friends. You know, I just make, well, friends, you know, this is how you buy friends, you know, with apricot balls. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But no, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense that, um, you know, you really said to yourself, I'm going to follow my kind of 
my enjoyment or my passion, my, what, I, what I want to do. Um, and as long as you follow that, you know, you'll be enjoying what you're doing. So you'll be enjoying the journey. So in that respect, you know, if you enjoy the journey all the way through life, you, you're not really failing at anything, um, are you? And I, you know, from my experience as well of having spent actually quite a lot of time doing things that I didn't really enjoy that much. Um, I went into engineering uh, like you did. It was, as you said, engineering or law here in Perth, Western Australia. And I, I had a father who was an engineer. And uh, so I went, I went into that area. Then I moved into investment banking. And I think in some respects, I even enjoyed that less than engineering. Um, and it's only since I moved into entrepreneurship, then into uh, babywear myself for a while, um, and now into coaching, et cetera, that I'm really doing what I'm, I really enjoy and what I'm really passionate about. And I just find that so much more energy, creativity, et cetera, comes out around that, that as, as you said, you know, even if that's your plan A and you have a plan B, there's so much going on, there's so much momentum, et cetera, that it might not turn out how you wanted it to turn out or how you'd envisage it, but it's going to turn out pretty well. And there's a quote, I think, by Norman Vincent Peale around this. It's kind of, you know, shoot for the moon, because even if you miss, you'll kind of land among the stars. You might not get exactly what you're aiming for, but you get something uh, pretty magical as a result. Mm, yeah, for sure. Completely agree. And so in terms of starting the first store, was there, was there much capital needed to actually undertake that first step? Uh, so I guess, no, no, there wasn't. That's a short answer. Um, basically, I started my first store after I finished uni. Uh, my final semester of university, I went on student exchange um, and I um, was in Copenhagen in Denmark. And I was, um, so I was doing my final semester of law, but I took my jewelry material over there and I was selling to stores in Copenhagen cool. and in Oslo and Stockholm. Um, and then as, as I traveled, spent the whole year just traveling, I would just sell the jewelry. And that would like, I think that point was what sort of like kind of solidified. I'm actually going to open a store. Yeah. Because I was in international, I was, I was, I was in international stores, selling to international stores, learning cool about stores them. And I was like, we don't have anything like this back home. If they can do it, I can. I guess it was that yep. sort of thought again. And then I get, and then when I get back to Perth, like I'd spent all the money that I made selling jewelry because I was traveling for an entire year. Yeah. Um, and I had a student credit card. Um, and when I, um, I thought, look, when I first got back, actually, I was like, maybe I'll, like, I, I was a little bit lost. You know, when you, when you've come back from a big, big thing and you just yep. sort, of, sort of don't want to do stuff because like it was not about the jewelry, the business, it was just about traveling, right? So I traveled for an entire year. I got home and I'm like, now what do I do? Like had a sort of, sort of like momentum was all sort of gone. And yep. I um, thought I didn't imagine going from like, you know, from finishing my law degree, mm -hmm. to just continue to make jewelry. It sort of had this sort of like, mm, I don't really want to do that kind yep. of feel. <laughs> um, even though it was great while I was doing uni, it just sort of had this feel of like, Oh, now I've like, we are so for six years for what? So I, I thought, well, I hadn't actually put any work into anything. So I like, into, I hadn't, yeah, I had never applied for a job or anything. So I thought, well, maybe I should apply for some jobs. Um, so I applied for some jobs. Didn't, didn't get any callbacks. Didn't get anything. I didn't have experience. <laughs> and, like no wonder no one. Um, oh, wow. Great. You like, you, you make jewelry. Like, how's that going to yep. like, help you? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess in that period, like where I did feel quite lost, um, 
I was actually walking through the city one evening and I saw a tiny shop at the back of an old arcade that had yeah. a police. Um, and I looked at that and I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> shop. Cause it was tiny, you know, it was like, it was just tiny in the back of an arcade. And I was like, it probably couldn't be that expensive opening a shop like this, you know, yeah. I, like it's sort of kind of that kind of thing just to niggle at me again. And then I, um, contacted the number like the the email i guess on the um on the sign yeah i asked him about the shop and i said i was this international jewelry designer blah 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 and the rent was 110 dollars a week i mean look at that time as a student like i'd come back to living at home and i had maybe like a couple of grand debt on my credit card yeah um i was like oh you know like <laughs> but then i was also that thought of like and i kind of as you said you know this sort of backup I guess what's what worst comes to worst, I get I open a shop, it doesn't work, and then I I'm stuck on a lease and I have to pay 110 bucks a week, but yep. I get a law job and I just pay it off. Like uh, so, I guess there was that idea of there is a plan B if this falls through. Yeah, there is a safety net if this falls through. Um, so anyway, so basically, yeah, like the rent was 110 bucks a week. I emailed them, said I was an international jewelry designer, and that I wanted three months rent free. Um, and they said okay. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, and so I, I literally signed the lease and then they didn't ask me for a bond and they didn't <laughs> ask me for a deposit because I didn't have any money anyway. Yeah, so I was perfect. like, well, that works. So I was like, well, yeah. now I've got three months to work out how I'm going to set up this store. Yeah, perfect. Um, and so in that time, I applied for a grant from the WA government um, that had like an arts travel grant and they gave you 2k to go travel with your like arts related business yeah yeah um, and so I thought you know what I'm going to do I've heard of these trade shows that they have on the east coast yeah maybe I'll take my jewelry over to the trade show and yeah you know, sort of because I hadn't been in Perth for like in Australia for over a year and I hadn't really sort of sold anything or done anything here so I thought look if I, maybe I can start that up and use that money if I make money there yeah. to open the door. So that was sort of the idea. So I got I got this I got this grant, went to Melbourne, set up a little tiny trade show booth. It was like a meter, like a, a table, it was like a meter wide. Yep. I just filled it full of jewelry and mm. like other bits and pieces. Um actually I probably should mention that like in my years travel, I um went to Seoul in Korea. Yep. My family's Korean. And this lady that I used to teach English to she said, please stay at my house if you ever come to Korea. And I was like, yeah, okay. Cool. So I, I looked her up a few years later, stayed at her house um, with her son. He was kind of teaching them both English. And then she introduced me to her brother who worked in the jewelry markets in Korea. Yeah. Wow. So when I came <laughs> to Australia to do this trade show, I called him up and said, oh, hey, can you make me these things? Yeah. So... Like, um, so I've had this little stand. I have this jewelry that I've either handmade or I've got this guy in Korea to make. Yeah. And I've put it out there. Uh, a whole bunch of stores came. Um, we didn't get like heaps of interest, but I got like, I don't know, like maybe 14 or 15 stores around the country that bought yeah. over that, like over that uh, like weekend or whatever it was. Cool. Um, and they were kind of pretty decent stores and they all ordered like maybe one or $2,000 each. So that, like I ended up having like this little kitty of like, of, of cash that I got from like those orders. Yep. And I made a lot of friends from at the trade show, like for other, other suppliers, the makers and other designers. And like a lot of those guys agreed to give me stock on consignment to start to open my first store. Fantastic. So basically I had, except, yeah, I guess I bootstrapped 
um, Pigeonhole, which is my first store, my first business by, um, uh, I guess, selling that jewelry at the market at yep. the trade show and then getting um, getting people to supply me stock and consignment. And then when I got back to Perth, pretty much, you know, all my friends sort of helped chip in, like pulled up three layers of carpet, like yep. pulled off out of ceiling. <laughs> like, and we spent all like all the money from the trade show, like refurbing this tiny bedroom size store at the back of an arcade. Look, I mean, cool. Uh, today I opened the store for like a quarter of that amount of money, <laughs> so, uh, but that's what I thought the best use of the money was at the time, like learning yeah. how to plaster and like using a jackhammer and, t- and like smashing up the asbestos tiles. Yeah, got you. <laughs> that. So yeah, so anyway, basically I come to my 25th birthday, opened my first store, all my friends and family um, had a little catwalk down the arcade. Um, awesome. And yeah, that's kind of where that started. Well, it sounds to me one one area where I know a lot of people um, struggle with is they have big big dreams and aspirations, uh, like you laid out sort of early in um, in your university days, but they don't kind of work back the plan to the, the sort of the here and now, and they're almost uh, too embarrassed. Uh, to start small or to look silly or to fail in front of they they're often worried a lot about what other people uh, think but I think that's often the key to to making a start is to just being quite humble and start in a in a modest and appealing way and not over invest over capitalize because um, what you really need to do is you need to you need to learn um, and it sounds like that's kind of a characteristic of the whole journey in terms of um, the different you know, that you were learning your craft in terms of the jewelry and that the whole way you were visiting different stores and learning about how different stores around the world um, created uh, or sold jewelry. Um, bumped in people in Korea that were in the production manufacturing area. So you learn a bit about that business as well. And then even so, you know, you started out of university with a, with a relatively um, modest um, kind of store, but something that, that just worked for you at that particular point in time and how, you know, in terms of the process from that way forward, how did, how did things go? And this is, this is your, the current, your main uh, headline brand is it pigeonhole that the, the first store was called. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I think talking to what you were just saying, I think really in the end, it's what have you got in your hands? Like, what have you got? Like I had a credit card. Yeah. Um, so I could, you know, I could, spend a little bit of money on something and I didn't have cash, you know, like yeah. I, I could get a grant. I could, I knew how to make jewelry. I found a little shop. They didn't ask me for, they didn't ask me for money up front. So yeah. I just did what I had at the time within the capacity that I had. Um, and I think that's something that like, you just always just like, you, I think I've always had to bootstrap myself through yeah, you. And I've never had like a real financial safety net or anything like that. And also, look, I didn't have a job to start with and had to leave that. So I think it's different for me at, for, you know, starting up my first yeah. business because it's like, well, like what have I got to lose? I'm a student. Yeah. Pretty much like this is going to be better than being a student. Um, however, like, you know, there's definitely been a point in particular, even in this year um, where everything's sort of like really full on where it's like, you know, we're all like, okay, what are we doing with ourselves? Who are yep. we? Um, where there's that point of what have I got to lose? What have I got to gain? And weighing those things up. And I definitely know like what that's like and that feeling. Um, but sorry, to come back to where we were, um, open that first store, 
six months later, I did another trade show because the first trade show I thought was quite successful. Yeah. So this second trade show, I got a three by three meter stand. So like a proper stand. Yeah. Um, I got a friend of mine to volunteer to come with me to Melbourne um, to help me at the stand. And I um, asked some of the, because when I opened that first store, I had my jewelry and then I had some things that I found at the trade show yeah. um, that people had given me on consignment. So like other little kind of knickknacks and like, you know, uh, like candles and like yeah, journals and cards and all that kind of thing. And I'd been finding bits and pieces, like some that I actually found during my travels, like, you know, cause I picked up business cards as I was traveling. And then yeah. also just like, like this was really early days online, but I'd say, yeah, I guess mm. I sort of found, found some cool brands um, overseas somehow um, online. And I'd ask them to send their stock down to me for pigeonhole my little store. Yeah. And then I asked them, like when I came, when it came to the trade show six months later, do you want me to take your products to this trade show as well? So I took yep. like some, some cool little independent design products to this trade show. Now I had like a whole range of jewelry that I had got made in Korea that I put yep. out the trade show as well. Cause I had my little shop by then. So, um, so yeah, so I had at this trade show. So the first trade show, I got 14 orders. The second trade show six months later, I got 40 orders. Wow. And then six months later, I went to another trade show, did it again. Now I got, I got a bigger space, yep. more product, and I got 80 orders. Wow. Um, so it's sort of like kind of like, it kept kind of, got, kept kind of doubling. Like it was just kind of growing quite fast. And like, so at that time, I had some 16 year olds, cause like I was only 25 and I had these 16 year old high school kids that you know had found my store and they wanted to help. Yeah. And I was like, and my answer is if anyone ever asks, you know, do you need help? My answer was yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and so I, I had uh, my store flooded one, like one day and the landlord gave me a, a room, like a key for a room, like upstairs where I could yep. like store some of my extra stock. So I had, <laughs> there's actually no working light switch or anything in that room. I had this like 16 year olds up there packing orders. <laughs> to, to <laughs> <laughs> doing their thing up there <laughs> and um yeah we're just like it was it was, it was a mad hustle um so a whole i guess where, where are we now but, but so we're kind of like a year in now to having yeah. my first store i've done now i've done three trade shows and i um a friend of mine who has a little shop on the other side of the city says oh johan um have you thought about having a second store yeah um, and take me a whole year to build up this tiny location. It was really like some days you only get three people walk down the arcade and so yeah. you'd have to work your butt off. They may not even be coming for your shop. They're like looking for, they're like, we're lost. Yeah. No, <laughs> they are not. Now you're work. found. Oh, out. Yeah. Um, so I guess like I had to work really hard to build up a following down this yeah. little way. Um, and then my friend said, look, I've got this, like, you know, these, my neighbors are moving out think about having a second store and i was like well i had this whole like storeroom upstairs of 16 year olds like packing orders of it and i had this extra stock yeah i was selling it to other stores so i thought well i've got stock to open a shop yeah um i don't really have like like heaps of ca cash sitting around but i emailed the landlord i emailed the leasing agent um the rent was double yeah the rent that i would but you know so not really that much in the scheme of things. There was double, um, but I mean, the foot traffic was also double at that other location. Yeah. Um, but they didn't ask me for a bond or a deposit either. And it was coming up to Christmas. And Perfect. so I was like, 
let's just give it a crack. And so, yeah, yeah, pretty much I got the keys. I think I got the keys like December 1. And then we opened the store on December 7. So rather than taking three months, it took a week. Yeah. Open the next door. Perfect. Um, and we probably spent about, I don't know, 3K like setting that store up. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm like, put all the jewelry in there and all that. I mean, all the, all the stock in there. And pretty much from day one, that store did like day for day exactly what the first store had done, even though the first store had been, I'd built up over an entire year. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that was easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what foot traffic does, you know? I was like, oh, that's, that's wow. easy. So, yeah. Eyeballs, um, foot traffic. Yeah, pretty much. And then, jump jump forward to the, the next year same time of year it's kind of coming up to christmas i'm walking down a different laneway in perth it's called yeah. Court. very 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 busy laneway um and i see four lease sign the window in a little shop contact them and they say look you don't have to give us a bond but you can give it to, i would not right now but you can give it to us like sometime next year yeah right good enough yeah. So 10 days later, <laughs> I had my third pigeonhole um, in that little laneway. In, um, and that had double the foot traffic. And again, the day that I opened that store, it did the same dollars that the second store was doing after yep. the second store being open for a year. Yeah, I gotcha. Right. Okay. I see. Yeah, a bit of a pattern forming, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, everything I do turns to gold, basically. <laughs> That's how I felt. So the next year, I opened a cafe. I opened a vintage store, I opened a men's clothing store and a women's clothing store. Wow. So basically then I had six stores in this cafe and I pretty much like almost had a mental breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you know, like I can imagine. Yeah, I was like 28 or something. I didn't know what I was doing. It was 28, 29. I was just, yeah, it was it was mental. And I was like, okay, you know what? No more stores. Yeah. No more anything. I just feel like I'm one of those like clowns. It's like got all those plates and like just have them from like from every single finger. And I just try to keep them all spinning. Yeah. Um, wow. And I don't really know what I'm doing. And I'm just um, so I was like, nah, okay. Just just stop for a while and just stop. <laughs> just stop. Yep. Just, Cause you're gone mental. Cause you know, the wholesale business, every trade show that would also double. So I, I, I also had that going at the same time. So this is the fourth year now. So um, it was a shop a year in the first three years. And then in the fourth year, I doubled everything. So it was like three yeah. stores, like three more stores and the cafe. And then I had the wholesale department, which I decided to move to Melbourne. I, I had a staff member that wanted to move to Melbourne. I said, why don't you take this wholesale business and just move it over there? And so with it. Yeah. too many things going on at once. Wanted to stop. And just be like, hey, no more new things, no more stores, nothing. Just like try to find yourself again. And then just after Christmas of that year, um, I got a phone call from a, I guess like a shopping, I like got a, a building in the city called 140 William. And yeah. it was a big office tower and they had all these shops and they had a supermarket and all the stuff downstairs. Cool. The whole thing had sort of, fallen through and all the like all the businesses had sort of pretty much gone under including the supermarket and everything yeah um, i'm not quite sure why but basically i got this phone call from the marketing manager there saying hi ohan we know that you have all these stores would you like to open a new store because we have got this big vacant space and we're yeah. getting lots of Perth businesses and creatives to open stores in this precinct yeah um, and cool. we're going to give you free rent and i was like no <laughs> <laughs> There is no way in hell that I'm opening a new store. Yeah. Um, and she's like, 
please, you know, just please consider it. We're gonna, wow. It's going to be an amazing project. It's free. And I'm like, no, <laughs> but I need someone to have a sale because I have so much stock. Yeah. I was like, could uh, I have a store for like a week or two just to have my sale and just to kind of get rid of like, you know, like four years worth of old stock. Yep. Um, because like, I just need to sort of, you know, it's just, you know, it's just, just January, I need to get rid of everything, just finish Christmas. Let's just like sell it all. Um, yeah. Like, sure. Have, ta- you can take the store. So I, I got all my old stock out from like all those random store rooms that I was squatting in and yeah. from, like all the extra stock from the stores that I had over Christmas, threw it into the shop. And I had this sale for 10 days and every day, like, so keep in mind, I had these little tiny shops. Yeah. A massive day for them would be like a thousand bucks. Yeah. You know, they might do like 300 bucks or 400, $500 in the day. Um, so I, I have this sale and every day they did like $10,000. Wow. <laughs> I mean, like I was crazy sale. Like I was selling $500 dresses for like 50 bucks yep. and things like that. So people were just like, just going crazy on it. But I was like, right. Something in I've, that. Yeah. Like I've, I've like, I've, I've never had a $10,000 day. I've never had a day that was like over like two, like, you know, $2,000 maybe I should consider having a shop here. So yeah. I called her back and I was like, ah, you know how you said you could give me this shop for free? Like, is that still available? Uh, yep. And she said, look, the shop that you're in now for your sale, that's not available, but we can give you another store. Yeah. You can have it free for three months. Um, look, we never did a $10,000 a day again. I was just, I don't know what magic it was. Special um, source, yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it was. It maybe it was like just that crazy, I don't know, the sale that we're doing or whatever it was. But anyway, yeah. we had this, um, we got given this very, very large store in pretty much in the center of Perth CBD, just off the main shopping mall. Um, it was 150 square meters, um, which every uh, like all my other six stores and the cafe could all fit in that in that one before to getting this store so now i have this enormous store for free rent and i'm like i have to fill the store and so like again it's just like and I, it's only for three months so it was just this mad hustle to try to yeah. like get this store open um and what happened was i was like i just like i just said yes to this, to this lady on the phone and I bump into a friend of mine who'd um was a he was an artist and he's also like a like a carpenter slash cabinet maker. Yeah. And he's like, I was telling him what I'm doing. He's like, oh, that sounds really cool. Do you need a hand? And I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> and basically, um, he because I didn't have uh, like it was it was something that was was we were unprepared for. Yeah. Um, he came up with this concept with me that we would make the store out of pallets. Um, and because he was a cabinet maker. Like he had these like mad skills and we spent one full day building the store and then we just moved all the stock into the stores open in two days. It was like, yeah, it, was wow. like it was kind of mental. Um, and now we had this enormous store that all our stores could fit into. And it was sick. It was amazing. It was like it was such a cool experience to be like a big box store all of a sudden. Yeah. No idea what I was doing. We had this big box. <laughs> and then um, six months in, so um, six months in, they were like, do you want the store next door as well? And I was like, yeah, I do. Why, Why not? not? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I pretty much bung the hole through the wall, got my maiden again, 
we made this huge, enormous store. I, I went to Thailand and I got like furniture made. Like, I went overseas cool. and bought vintage. I got like a whole like denim section in the store. This magical, huge retail space that like we just you know just didn't exist in Perth. And I got yep. creative to do different things. You know, got some some yeah, like awesome. to build this like giant Christmas tree out of like fluoro. We did a collaboration with like uh, like the the Perth Ballet and just all kinds of really creative, exciting things. Yeah. Because essentially I had a store that I, I was paying some rent by then, but it was like negligible. So I essentially had this almost free, enormous store in the middle yeah. of the city. Um, so it's pretty hard to not make money yeah. <laughs> on that thing. Um, and so we had this massive store at the end of this whole year, they decided they were going to like redevelop that whole complex. So they're like, okay, yeah, and you need to move out of this complex because we're going to redevelop <laughs> it. I'm like, no. But because I'd opened these stores and they called them pop-ups at the yep. time because it was their concept that it was like all the new pop-up businesses. Yeah. And this was, this is 2010, 12, 2012. Yeah, right in the so early days. Like early days of, of this idea of pop-up. Yep. Um, but because I'd done these really cool, exciting like concepts, um, and I, I, I'm not gonna forget the fact that I had amazing friends that sort of made this happen. I just had the idea. Yeah. Um, but I got asked by like another couple of shopping centers in Perth City. They said, "Look, we have this vacant store. We'll give it to you for 500 bucks a week. A big store. In um, do you want to take that?" And yeah. so I was like, sweet. So basically at the end of this like, ma magical period where I had this crazy store, I got offered two really big stores in even busier spots in the city for really, really cheap rent. And so I was like, okay, Perfect. awesome. One huge store, which was near the train station, which I thought I'm going to make that into, I'll take all the clothes from the first store and move them into that store. Yeah. And then all the gifted homewares from the first store, I'll move it into the second store. So then I had like a, because pigeonhole was a gift, home, clothes, furniture. Yep. It was everything at that time. Yeah. So I thought, why don't I just break it down into two different concepts um, and diversify that way? And so I'll have the pigeonhole gift and home store and I'll have the pigeonhole fashion store. Perfect. Now, the thing with fashion, um, because, you know, I had this pop-up store and every three months I'd say, you got another three months and I'll just like scramble clothes and I'll get vintage from here and there and I'll just like yep. patch together. But the thing with fashion is normally you have to buy it six months in advance. Yeah. So you need to actually indent your orders you need to project what you're going to sell yep. these people have to make those clothes for you and take them six months to kind of get them made and ship them from overseas and whatever yep. get them. yeah so i'm like okay right now i know already six months in advance that i'm going to open this big enormous fashion store and so i think well what how much money to make in my first big store i'm going to make double money in the next <laughs> store because it's double the foot traffic yeah and i'm just going to sell clothes so i need to buy double the amount of, of every like that amount of dollars worth yep in clothes just double it and up. so <laughs> yeah that's right i was like double everything of course and it'll be christmas so then just add an eight bit extra yeah because it's gonna be christmas and make a lot of money at christmas time um and so <laughs> i ordered in retail value like over a million dollars worth of clothes wow. ordered them um so yeah like it <laughs> it it was just, it was just, it was really crazy and really stupid, but like that's, I didn't really know what I was doing. I never ordered for a big store before yeah. like properly. I was like, okay, I'll have 10 of that and 20 of that. And you know, like <laughs> I just went nuts ordering all this stuff 
um, because I knew that we would like, I knew already way in advance that we we're going to open the store. Yeah. And so I opened the store in June, uh, I think, and the stock was supposed to arrive August, September, October, yeah. like that period. So I opened it June and the sales of that new store do not double the first store. They're actually yeah. exactly the same. And I'm like, okay. And then <laughs> <laughs> like, cause even though it was a fashion store, we still had the gift and home components in that store. Yeah. But the sales percentage of what we were selling in that new store, it wasn't like 90% fashion in terms of our sales. It was actually still only 30% fashion, which was selling. Yeah, got you. And so I had budgeted for it to be almost 100% fashion sales. Yep. And double, but we were actually like half of what my sales projection was for the entire store. But only 30% of that was, was what was coming from fashion. Yeah, so and double, I was like, double hit. <laughs> I was like, I'm going under. Like that was why I was like, uh, I've screwed myself. I'm dead. Um, and so I was like, well, what do I do? Because mm-hmm. the, stock, the stock hasn't all, you know, it's starting to arrive, but it, yeah. I haven't got it all yet. And so I was like, well, look, I could burn all my bridges and cancel the orders. Yeah. And look, maybe in hindsight, maybe that's probably what I should have tried to do. <laughs> I should have at least told my suppliers, like, you know, what have I done? Yeah. yeah. But at that point, I was like too proud to do that. And I just felt like, look, these people have made this stock for you. Yeah. You know? Like they've actually like, it's cost them money to be making this stock. Maybe it's not that you've ordered bad stuff. You just mm. can't sell that much in this location. Yeah. I thought, what if I could open more pop-up stores to move that stock? Yeah. Fantastic. So, um, so early August, I get a phone call from a shopping center in Brisbane because by then I'd now opened my homeware store and I've got my big fashion store. Yeah. And I guess word spreads in these shopping centers. They're like, oh, have you heard of Pigeonhole? They're this per- they're this perfect outfit that opens these pop-up shops yep. they do it really quickly and they do it really well yeah um so i get a phone call from the shopping center in brisbane saying oh we have a shop in brisbane do you want to come see yeah um and i'm like yes oh this could be day, the uh, solution to all my uh problems <laughs> yeah totally so the next day pretty much like i caught the first flight like i caught the overnight flight i think yeah, i caught the overnight flight that night yeah got to brisbane in the morning i found this little shop um i was like 500 bucks a week sign and yeah. then they're like, oh, we have a friend. Oh, yeah, yeah, actually, like, yeah, we know the people at this shopping center across the across the way in the city. Yeah. Um, I don't know anyone in Brisbane, by the way. Like, yeah. they, it's crazy. They, they, like, they, well, we know they have a pop-up shop as well. Yeah. So I went over there, like, that same day. She said, yeah, do you want this store? We can give you $500 a week, sign. And yep. then they also said, we have this other store in this other part of the city. Like, we're going to redevelop that building, but you can have yeah. a pop-up shop in there for a month and i said yep so i signed that too wow. and then so the so i opened that first store that we had for a month first i flew one of my staff and we we got like the excess sales stock we moved that to that shop we yep. flew we, we flew flew over set up the shop that and then i hired on like, like mm. i hired on our first day and i said yep. okay you're hired you're working now yeah, and <laughs> <hide> our team. <laughs> then I moved on to the second store, opened that, moved, like moved the new stock into that. Yeah, got my third, and then opened the third store. So in three weeks, we had three stores in Brisbane, and yeah, so- we had like a team of like 10, 12 staff in Brisbane. Um, <laughs> and we just so that so that happened. And then a friend of mine in Sydney called. This is so that was the month of August, and a friend of mine yep. in Sydney called 
and he said, um, hey, Johan, I, I've got six months left on my lease. I've got a shop in Crown Street yep. in Hills. I've had my second kid now. I need out. Do you yep. want my shop? Do you want to just take over the lease? I was like, yep. Went down there, opened, opened my shop in, in his location. Wow. And the day that we opened, I got, a, I got a phone call from another shopping center in Sydney. So this is now like first, like first week of October. And they say, hi, Johan, we heard you do pop-up stores. And I'm like, yes. yes. I do. And I'm like, I'm on a mission. That's um, amazing. And they said, look, we've got a, um, we've got a shopping center. We want you to come check it out. I get there. They give me a hard hat and I'm like, uh, okay. And <laughs> they, they said, how long does it take you to open a store? I'm like, look, we've done it in two days before, but look, two weeks is a good amount of time. They said, oh, that's convenient. Our shopping center opens in 10 days time. Yeah. They take me upstairs and they say, here's your shop. It's 160 square meters. Here's 30K and four, four carpenters. What can you do? Wow. <laughs> I, I've literally just opened four stores. Like I'm toast already, but I'm yeah. like, yes, we're doing this. So wow. then basically I flew my friend that helped me with the first two pop stores. I flew him over. He flew one of his buddies over. Yep. Um, we had these carpenters. We opened this store in Sydney, which is still here to this day. And... Um, and they said, look, your rent is 10% of your turnover. No risk. Just do it. Yeah. So I Fantastic. did that. And then I got offered a, a pop-up shop for a month in Melbourne for like, like November. I moved my sales store in Brisbane with the Brisbane team. I flew them down. I said, you guys find friends, stay in Melbourne for a month, wow. run this store. And all of a sudden I was national business within like the space of four months. Yeah. Just the speed that all of that happened is, a, is amazing. And it sounds like you know, that working early on to get to market quicker and involving the right people, obviously you have really strong concept. You're kind of riding this trend. I think it was around sort of pop-up stores, um, but the ability to be in market very quickly actually solves some big problems for the owners of these stores and mm -hmm. or shopping centers as well. And so it sounds like along the way, you got incredibly good uh, deals. And I see, I've seen, Similar things happening, you know, this year, particularly in retail with COVID and stuff like that, but also in bars and clubs like that. If, if a bar or club, if the concept has fallen under, you know, pop up people that can come in quickly and can get foot traffic and get people involved. And, you know, obviously if they're selling multiple stores, you know, if they all look empty, it's, they're in a very bad negotiating position, but with some of them full and, you know, lots of people walking around, it's a lot easier to sell the other stores in a shopping center, et cetera. So it sounds like you were riding a number of different uh, things there and, and doing it, doing it really well. Yeah, look, uh, I guess, we just did what we knew. And I think that's, uh, you know, I guess with each store, you improve your concept, like you get better at it. And so, you know, like when you yeah, when you've done that many, I guess by that point, this is now the sixth year we've done, uh, I don't know, I've probably, I've opened over 10 stores by then. Yeah. 15 stores in that time. Um, so I guess I got pretty good at opening store, opening quick. Cause I'm so desperate to get that store open. Yeah. To make that money so that I don't go under and so that I can kind of keep the whole ship yeah. running. So I guess that was a very, very, very mental year, obviously. Yeah. Um, and somehow I survived it and all that. I managed to sort of sell all of those clothes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there was, I mean, there is a cost, you know, there's a cost to you, to your sanity. Like yeah. I literally left Perth in August and didn't come back until yeah. March. 
<laughs> the next year. That's crazy. I was even dating someone and I completely forgot they existed. Yeah. They just like, it just was like. <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, and so I think, I mean, there was a cost, there was a cost in a whole lot of ways. Um, yeah. And growing a business that fast, I just, I don't know how to, I don't know how to have a national company. Yeah. You know, like I only just got used to having a big store and I'd fucked that up already. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> I'd already I'd stuffed that up like majorly by like ordering like five times the amount of stock for it. Yeah. And now I had adapted. stores all around the country and like some of them are also really large. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, then it was just, you know, it was, it was, a, it was like mental, mental few years of being yeah. like, how do I actually run a national business? Like I, I could have closed those pop-up stores yeah. afterwards, but now I had like a whole family. I had like all of these young people that yeah. had like sort of believed in me and that become part of our family. Yep. And I'm like, I can't just like let these guys go. I can't just like close this down. And also it was profitable. Yeah, like I didn't understand the difference between cash flow positive and profit, but <laughs> like I was like, the money's coming I know how in. Much this item cost. I know how much I'm selling it for. Yep. There's profit here. I understood yep. that concept. Yeah. Um, and so I guess I kept, I kept all the stores basically is what ended up happening. Um, and concurrently I had the wholesale business going at the same time. So these, so now I had these two actually very, very large businesses that were running at the same time that also required a lot of capital, which I didn't really have because every time you open a business, you have to absorb capital from yeah. like, yeah, you got to take cash from another store, take stock from another store, take yeah, and get yeah. stock on credit terms or whatever. Must've been a nightmare for your uh, accountants. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started. Um, they would have to be playing catch up uh, left, right and center. Yeah, so I guess it was at this point where I had these two very large sizing businesses that needed like big amounts of money at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I think um, this is the fact, that's kind of the point where everything just actually really started to crumble for me because yep. I actually did not have the capacity or the resource, the experience um, to run something of that scale. Yeah. And cause I just, I just got up too fast. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was just literally just, to, I was just, yeah. Like trying to cover my behind the whole time. And then, I got to that point where I, the whole thing actually just started to implode on itself. Yeah, I got you. So I guess that's, that's that point of recalibration again, you know, where you kind of have to stop and take a break and look at yourself again. Yep. Yeah, and I guess it speaks to the fact that if, you know, you can either um, do that intermittently, you know, when it's absolutely necessary or call for, you've got no choice really, but, to do that for your own sanity and, and survival. Um, I guess the other option is that you try to do that on a more regular or consistent basis. And that might mean sometimes making tough decisions like growing a little bit slower than you might um, otherwise would to, to create that time and space for yourself and for your alignment and, and for, your, for your sanity, et cetera. And uh, also for the people and the relationships that, uh, that you're working with. Is, is that something that you're doing uh, more now? Or are, you still, are you still gung-ho in, in, in terms of opening uh, new stores? Look, I think um, for me, I guess this particular year, like pick, with COVID, um, a lot of things can kind of come tumbling down. 
Yeah. Uh, retail in particular. Very tough. Yeah. I've said ever has been a massacre. Um, and I've got a national business and like some of my, like, you know, one of the states that I'm in Victoria, that's kind of like a, one of our biggest, like it's our biggest state financially. Like that's just been locked down for six months. Yeah. Um, so there's, it's, there's been, it's been a bit of crazy bloodshed everywhere. Um, and I come back here to Perth. I've essentially ended up putting all my energy into opening things again. (laughs) Yeah. To try to make sure that the whole thing won't topple over. Um, so I don't know, history repeating itself, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I've, I've seen the other concepts. So this is um, pigeonhole is the is the main brand. What just what's what's the website for pigeonhole? Just in case, so people oh, can yeah, it's uh, it pigeonhole.com, P-I-G-E-O-N-H-O-L-E.com. Um, and, and that's in today, Perth, in- uh, Brisbane, Melbourne, and Sydney. That's right. Yep, we're in right. all those four states as of today. Everything pretty much is back open, apart from a few stores that are closed permanently. Yeah, um, fantastic. Yeah. And in terms of, um, you know, I love the concept um, with pigeonhole, uh, you know, from what I've seen in the stores, you know, for me, it's pretty much the perfect uh, gift shop. I've seen hats, jewelry, um, bags, all of, all of the above. Is it, uh, is it very much focused on the, the gifting uh, season in particular as well? Yeah, look, it is. I think, I mean, where we started was like, I thought it was like this sort of like cool fashion-y type of boutique, but I think really where we've ended up at is something that actually I'm not that exclusive as a person. I'm not like, I'd much yeah. rather, I think good design, good products, and beautiful things should be available to everybody. Um, and so like, basically when you come into one of my stores, there is something for everyone. Yeah, got gotcha. like, you. You can buy... Um, you can, you can, you can buy like a, like a journal from like, uh, from Alabama, or you can buy a, like, like handmade skincare from like someone in, in Fremantle. You can buy cool. like, um, hand poured candles. You can buy jewelry. You can buy dried flowers from a local florist. You can buy, uh, like a, uh, grow, grow it yourself mushroom kit. Like it's basically all kinds yeah. of weird and quirky and wonderful and fun, fun things. Like the whole concept is that everything should be bring joy your life. Yeah. Um, into the lives of those around you and things that are good for you and good to give on to other people. So yeah, gifting is a really important aspect of pigeonhole. Um, and it's where you get to activate your generosity, you activate other people's generosity and you have to act, help people show their love to another person. And that's something that I just think there's like a lot of value in that as an activity. Um, yeah. That's how people show their love to others by giving them things. Um, and that's something that we get to be partake in. And so that's, I guess, part of the joy of Pigeonhole today, as opposed to being like a, a fashion boutique. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And, and this now, I'm not sure what the time frame is, but it's, uh, it's moved also into plants. Is it Hello Houseplant, the new, new brand? What's the website yeah. for that as well? So um, I've got a new brand. It's called Hello Houseplant. So it's just hellohouseplant.com. Perfect. Um, and where that came from was as my as pigeonhole and my store started to shut down yeah the only thing that was selling in any of those any of the stores was actually like indoor plants so we had been selling them in the store because we sold everything in the store so we we had this little indoor plant section and people were going nuts buying these plants and it was this even it was this feeling of the customers would be coming in saying what's going to happen to your plants when the quote when the stores locked down yeah have to rescue them yeah. And all of my staff, even myself, were like, what are we going to do with these 
plants. Save the plants. Save the plants. Save them. <laughs> You know, like we were all like, we have to save something, you know, yeah. like it was, a, it was a really strange energy that was going on. Um, and we all were in this mind frame and then all the stores were closed. Yeah. And I, I look, I pretty much kept the stores open probably maybe six weeks longer than I should have from a business perspective, I guess. Yeah. Like basically the stores are making like $30 a day or $50 yep. or a hundred dollars a day. Um, for about five weeks um, and I kept them all open. Cause I was like, you know, I, what am I going to, I didn't know what to do. And I wanted to keep everyone employed. And, you know, like my staff were like in tears every day and everyone was like, wow, you know, like, please keep the store open. And I was, you know, my customers yeah, like, what, what else can you do? Oh, you, <laughs> you know, it was, it was crazy. Um, so anyway, basically I drained all of my personal finances. I drained all the money in all the bank accounts to keep these things open for like probably way too long and then thank the dear lord the yep. Australian government said that they would essentially pay for like like a lot of my workforce yeah and I was like all right <laughs> close everyone out now yep. <laughs> so I had thank you all the stores closed I yep. spent all of my money that I had yeah and but I had a whole workforce that was getting paid for yeah and I was like what do I do now yeah it shows so, just how important that is that that stimulus from the government it's, doesn't it? it was actually really huge i mean it's completely saved my 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 backside absolutely and I yeah thought, and well, and, like, what, and everybody that works now? for you as well what do i do everything's closed um, and we look things have moved so fast and i'm a real tactile like hands-on relational style of person yeah i haven't been very good at getting online getting pigeonhole online so yeah i just gave you the website pigeonhole.com yeah it's not the experience that you get in the store. Let's put it that way. And so now whilst everyone else's online businesses were like on gangbusters during COVID, yeah. like we made maybe like an extra sale a day or something in Pigeon yeah, It just wasn't a thing. It's a bit, it's pretty embarrassing for me because it's it's a store for millennials in a lot of ways, but like we're just not like, I'm just a bit old school. So yeah. we haven't really been able to get that online thing going. Yeah, but, it's still a beautiful uh, website though. I went on it, went on it earlier. Um, and the stores as well. And that's what I noticed with Hello Plant. Um, you know, these stores just just for the plants, um, that they're beautiful. You know, that the stores, they're quite simple, but a very high kind of design aesthetic. Uh, and then the plants are all beautiful and the pots are um, of a similar color, et cetera. And it, do I understand it correctly? People, do they choose their pots that, that go with the plants? Yeah. So basically um, the concept of Hello House Plant is that <clears throat> you... Yeah, like uh, it started off as this online business that because everything was closed. So yep. it was like, what I can do is I can get my staff to drive to the nursery, buy the, like, buy the plant with the money that I made on the online sale, yeah. and buy the plant and deliver it to the customer. That was sort of where it started from. So basically now it's, it's mm. we just wanted to make buying plants really simple for people. Yep. It's, it's, a, it's a beginner's launch pad for indoor gardening. You come to Hello House Plant. Yeah. We help you find a plant that's going to suit your needs. Yeah. Like if you've got low light, we'll tell you which plants that will be good for your house. Like you can tell us a photo of your of your bedroom. Say, hey, I want to plant in this corner. What yeah. kind of plant would be good there? Like we, we literally, yeah, nice. we want to give you that level of service where you know you're going to get a plant that's going to live in your, in, in your house in the place that you want to put it. Yeah. Then you can pick a really cute pot. Um, then we'll repot it for you for free. Like yeah. If, 
if you want a ceramic pot or decorative pot, we'll gift wrap it for you. We can eat like on the online store, you can add like a bottle of wine. You can add, some, you can add a bar of chocolate. We'll write a gift note for you yeah. and we'll deliver it on the day of choice to wherever you want it to go. Yeah, um, and I, I love it. And, you know, I found, um, you know, when I left London a couple of years ago, um, I was initially working on my business and I was, I, was, I was really focused on that. I was spending a lot of time uh, at home and um, I found that's the point in my life when I really got into gardening and plants actually because, you know, it's just something to be able to, you know, care for something, to watch it grow as well. And so I think particularly during COVID and there's a, the, the chance, you know, that's going to continue for some time that it's, it's a really um, emotionally, um, uh, I'm not sure what, the, it's, a, it's a great emotional gift um, that you're giving to somebody, uh, that connection, um, that ability to nurture something else or something else. Um, so I think it's, uh, it's naturally, it's probably one of the reasons why they're, they're selling a lot, obviously, because people spending more time at home. Uh, but it's just a, it's just a wonderful uh, gift and experience to have. Absolutely. It's a very healing experience for people. And I, I, even for myself, like I enjoyed plants, but, you know, I spent a lot of time now, like learning about them, researching them and now like ha housing them in my, like we've now opened three stores and a yeah. uh, kiosk um, in one of the shopping centers for these plants. And it's, there is something extremely calming and meditative and just really soulful and helpful about having like a living thing that yeah. you're taking care of. Um, in your space and like it's cleaning your air it's like your your it's oxygenating the place yep. it, it, it really just makes everything feel a little bit better and a little bit less hectic and a little bit less stressful yeah and i and think I, that's something that's really helped um our customers and myself through yep. this time yeah in particular yeah and it's nice that it's it's pitched just at that starting um area you know it's you're kind of getting your first plan and then as you said, that level of service is really important because you, you, you're educating people. They haven't invested before in learning a lot about plants and how to keep them. So you want to get them off to, you know, they're getting off to a small start with just a plant or two, but you want to get them off to the right start. And, you know, for me, it, that's, that's sort of how it started, just one or, one or two plants here and there. And, you know, over time, it's now a couple of years on this year, it's been veggies and planting lots of different things and harvesting them and cooking them. And it's just been... Um, a real joy for me to to grow uh, and nurture plants, um, and so yeah, I'm excited uh, excited for um, all your customers to um, experience that that joy as well. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Fantastic, man. Well, look, that's that's been a it's been a really um, incredible journey that you've been on. Um, just before we go, what what's um, on the horizon for you and Hello Houseplant and uh, Pigeonhole as well? I know we're leading up to Christmas here as we're recording this, but then also into 2021 and, and beyond. Well, I think most people during COVID have had this opportunity to stop, think and reflect. Um, and for me, it's just kind of been a mad scramble of save myself from going bankrupt do what i can to keep everything running yeah with the same energy of like oh new business new store and try like because i need something to encourage myself yeah you know and i think there was that point of like before i opened hello houseplant and because it, it started off as an online business which i was you know very fearful of and then opening my first hello houseplant store was the first thing i'd opened since like yep. everything had shut down 
there's that impending doom feeling and this feeling <laughs> of failure that it's sort of like it was really crippling that I hadn't really experienced before. And just, yeah, wow. I had to really pull myself out of that. And so this last period has been me trying to pull myself out of that spunk, find my mojo again and make sure that I'm not like the whole thing isn't just going to implode. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm going to use early next year to sort of stop again and recalibrate and look at sort of, you know, like, what is it that I want to do and what, like, who is it that I want to be? Yeah. Um, I think more, who is it that I want to be? Because I think that's what you lose like quite often. Cause I think um, you can like, it doesn't matter really what you do. It's just, it, that would just be a vehicle for who you are and, and what, and like the values that you represent. And I think it's just kind of looking at that again. Um, so Absolutely. right now I'm just, I'm just focusing on like the fact that I've got something that, has been has again has been raised from the dead it's been resurrected for me yeah and i'm like okay that this is an amazing gift that i get to have like it's i i know that in many parts of the world they don't have that opportunity yeah Um, and so for me i feel incredibly grateful and i'm going to take that opportunity with two hands which is what i'm doing so i guess we have yeah so since since opening up in june here in wa at least um i've opened uh two new pigeonhole pop-up stores for christmas and then i've opened uh the three hello house night stores and a kiosk so i've opened sort of six things in that period since um and what we're moving to just before christmas um is i have partnered with a friend of mine an ex someone that used to work for me who actually has a carnival events company um and he um uh, he's taken over a big space uh in this area called jagen square in um in perth cbd yeah um to have his like show rides and like um ferris wheels and things um and he's given me a whole section of that area to run a christmas night market so i thought i would use my public experience and my christmas experience yeah to create like to be part of to kind of move it into like an event field and to have like this two week night market um that is um i guess all the gifting components that i've got from pigeonhole and then like kids gifts and and novelties and then i think i'm sort of drawing way back to having my little cafe (laughs) like you know seven years ago or whatever um like running food concepts as well in this in this space so that's really exciting for me i'm actually very very petrified of it um (laughs) and it's something where you know i got offered the opportunity uh i think we got they got the approval like a week and a half ago yeah and the event is in three weeks from yeah i love yeah. it i i think your whole journey has been characterized really by um you know a fearlessness where you know these opportunities um have come and you sort of uh jumped in with two feet that you know fearlessness and courage isn't about not experiencing the fear, it's kind of moving towards it uh, anyway and, and using that process to develop um, courage and, and fearlessness over the time. And I love how you position, you know, particularly where you're at at the moment as a as a gift, you know, in terms of making it through COVID, looking at it as a, as a second chance in many areas. And um, look, I have no doubt uh, I love the concepts of, of what you're doing now and I'm, I'll definitely check out the night market but also very excited to see kind of where the journey takes you over the next uh, year and beyond. So thanks very much, Johan, for being on the show. Thanks, Cam. So there you have it, guys and girls. If you enjoyed this episode, then please subscribe to the podcast and head over to cam-miller.com to sign up for my free weekly growth guide email. 
you're really loving the podcast, please also share it with family and friends and leave a review on iTunes or whichever platform you might be listening on. I can't wait to share the next episode with you.